Key Aero, your aviation destination. Historic Aviation. Hello and uh, welcome to the Flypass podcast. I'm James Peen and today we're talking to Charlie Walker of the C-47 Restoration Project Night Fright. Hi Charlie, how you doing? I'm doing good, thanks James. How you doing? Yeah, really good, thanks. Um, to start with, why don't you start off with uh, telling us a little bit about yourself and about Night Fright? Yeah, sure. Yeah, I'll, uh, I'll tell you a little bit about myself, you know, my passion for flying and aviation history and how I got involved in the project in the first place, I guess. So, I mean, I've always been interested in flying. So um, I've had a private pilot's license, you know, since I finished university. And then I sort of went on to further that really. I went and did my commercial pilot training on my instrument rating with a view to becoming a professional pilot. And I guess what sparked my my interest in flying and aviation was one, some of my friends being involved in the industry uh, and flying, but but also the history of where we're based, where I've lived for over 20 years, which is Membry. And on the site at Membry is former RAF Membry or United States Army Air Force Membry. So I started looking into the history of the airfield and the local area and you know what squadrons rotated through there, what aircraft they operated and, and what roles they performed. And very quickly, it became apparent that there was significant history there. And the 436 troop carrier group were based there and they flew C-47s. And not only did they fly C-47s, they operated them for very, very famous missions such as D-Day and Dragoon and Market Garden and the crossing of the Rhine. And sort of one thing led to another with the flying and the history. And we thought to ourselves, would it be really cool if we could preserve a little bit of history at Membry, you know, let people know what happened in the local area and and the airfield and and how important it is. And that wound up with us finding a C-47 christened night fright that flew from Membry. That's really cool. I mean, it's really hard to find anything sort of historically significant as an aircraft that actually flew from a a specific area. I mean, there there can't be many, many aircraft that are still flying from where they were stationed during the war. I think you're right there. I think as far as we're aware, um, and I stand to be corrected, that um, Night Fright will be the only C-47, perhaps even the only aircraft in the world to return to her wartime base and operate from there. And that's very much our intention. So it was quite a process to find Night Fright. We we did actually, with quite a lot of research and digging, manage to draw up a list of every C-47 that operated with the 436 troop carrier group through memory. And that was quite a process. And yeah, eventually we wound up finding Night Fright in a scrapyard in Arkansas in America, having failed to sell on an eBay auction. So, yeah, almost like fate, really. I mean, what's the chances of finding a C-47 on eBay these days? I mean, I'd imagine they were slim to, to none. Yeah, so I, I guess I would have thought so myself at the time as well. Uh, one thing I have learned throughout the project is you can pretty much find anything on eBay, actually, if you know where you're looking. But um, yeah, I, I know what you mean. It was um, I do see it as, as fate, really. The aircraft was in a scrapyard, having failed to sell on that eBay auction and about to be cut up for scrap when we stepped in and saved the day, I guess. I suppose as well, she's probably had a, quite a checkered history before she ended up in the scrapyard. I mean, after, after the war, I mean, what happened to her when she was sort of decommissioned? Yeah, you're right. I guess there's kind of sort of two lives to the aircraft, really. And um, as she currently sits, she's got over 60,000 flying hours on the airframe, which is quite incredible, really, when you think about it. And you're right, there's obviously the wartime history of the aircraft. But then post-war, she went on to do a number of different roles. So she flew for various airlines. So as an example, Piedmont Airlines, where she was carrying passengers. So they made various modifications. The cargo door was removed and replaced with an air stair door. She hauled cargo, carrying live poultry, 
and car parts across the state. She went back to Europe and flew for the French Navy, where they trained navigators um, for the Navy. So a, a huge variety of different roles. And as you say, sort of two sides to a history, really, but a fascinating story and stuff that fascinates us. And, you know, we love all the detail, really. I suppose it's the fact that she was such a, a useful tool that kept her alive. I mean, you look at all the bombers that were just decommissioned, all the fighters, because they just, you know, single purpose machines. And then you've got something like a C-47 that just does everything and goes anywhere. Yeah, absolutely. It's ironic, isn't it, of course, that it, it's an aircraft that wasn't designed for combat and um, played such a huge role in the outcome of the Second World War in a combat role. And then, as you say, has gone on post-war to be an incredibly successful design as well. And you know, I may well be biased here. In fact, I'm sure I am. But I think personally, the DC-3 is not only one of the most iconic airplanes ever built, but, you know, one of the most significant and reliable as well. And there's probably over 300 dc 3 still flying in the world. And I think that's testament to the Douglas design. It's incredible. Yeah. I think there's a quote on your website from Eisenhower, isn't there, saying that like four key items for victory, bulldozer, the Jeep, two-ton truck, and the C-47, so none of which were designed for combat, but just were needed. Yeah, absolutely. It's a real irony that, isn't it? That, as you say, that it was designed, you know, for carrying passengers in the mid-1930s and obviously at the outbreak of the war was pressed into military service. And, you know, it did such a fine job and then obviously continued that commercial life afterwards. But yeah, absolutely. I'm a firm believer in that quote, which is why we've got it on the website. I think it was one of the four things that enabled the Allies to win the war. And when we're doing presentations for museum and children at primary schools, you know, it's a great talking point as well. Yeah. And obviously it helps having such a, a major historical significance, like looking at the operations, you say, you mentioned D-Day, Market Garden, the Rhine Crossing, all of that stuff. It's like the, the C-47 was there for all the key moments. Yeah, it was. I mean, we're very, very fortunate to have found Night Fright that's um, got such a rich history, as you say. It, you know, she dropped paratroopers for D-Day, towed a glider on D-Day was involved in Dragoon, which is, of course, the, um, the invasion of southern France, Market Garden, you know, looking at paratrooper drops and glider toes, the double glider toe for the crossing of the Rhine, you know, you name it, um, Night Fright took part in it, really. So, yeah, an incredible amount of history. And as you say, missions now that are world famous. And finally, I think the C-47 and the role that Troop Carrier Command is probably getting the credit they deserved, really. Everyone thinks, I think, of the the fighters and the bombers, as you alluded to earlier. But I think finally, Troop Carrier Command's getting the credit they deserve for what they did. Yeah, I mean, it's not the most glamorous of commands, is it? But when you think about it, it's boots on the ground that win a war. And you're not going to get boots on ground unless you're dropping them in with a C-47. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, I couldn't agree more. It's um, perhaps not the most glamorous of types, i.e. it's transport. So people tend to look at the fighters and bombers for the more glamorous missions. But as you say, it played a crucial role. You know, when the lines were getting stretched, you know, they needed boots on the ground and resupplies and evacuations. And the C-47 took care of all of that for them. Yeah. And I suppose as well, like modern sort of TV programs, like Band of Brothers, sort of where you see the sort of C-47 in its you know, working environment, it gives you a more of an understanding of what these machines were capable of and the sort of guys who got behind the stick and flew them into these sort of war zones. Yeah, absolutely. It's incredible. As you say, things like Band of Brothers really do give you an idea of what these guys went through. And, you know, I'm lucky enough to display and fly C-47s. And, you know, we do some of the memorial drops over Normandy and Holland for Market Garden. And, you know, it makes the hairs on the back of my neck stand up just, you know, retracing the steps that the guys would have taken. It's incredible. And, you know, as you say, you know, everybody's heard of the Band of Brothers, the 101st Airborne and the Screaming Eagles. You know, that's a world famous story. 
Whilst you've been working on Night Fright, have you come across any sort of battle damage or anything like that? Have you sort of found any relics of its wartime exploits? Yeah, little bits. But I guess the one thing you've got to appreciate is that it's had such a life post-war that a lot of the components, you know, aircraft, skin, etc., have been replaced over time. But yeah, absolutely. We have found sort of battle scars, both from the war and what I'd call sort of more modern day scars as well. So for example, there's a famous picture we've got of the co-pilot James Hart leaning out of the captain's window, pointing to a 20 millimeter cannon hole that went through side on one of the D-Day missions and we found that hole and matched it to the period photograph so you know that's really really neat and you know at the other extreme finding sort of the modern markings of some of the airlines that she flew on the wings when we paint strip them so loads of examples that all tell her story really. I'm making you covering an awful lot of history as well and actually having to repair or replace various bits that have been chopped out or added throughout its uh, working career you know bulkheads and seats and all manner of stuff. Yeah, absolutely. There's a very, very famous saying that uh, goes like this. If you've flown one DC-3, you've flown one DC-3. They are all incredibly unique. They've all had their own sort of wartime story and they've all had their own sort of post-war stories, really. And as you say, they've been modernised, they've been adapted, they've been changed. And we can very definitely see evidence of that throughout Night Fright. We can see the changes they made to carry passengers and haul cargo and even some of the changes that the French made to the aircraft. And I think the beauty of the DC-3 or C-47 throughout the war is it was so repairable. It was such a modular design that the fuselage separated from the centre sections, the engines are easy to remove, even the tail was removable on some of them. So it was very well produced to sort of receive flak and damage and swap components out as required, really. How are you finding spare parts these days? I mean, what's the availability like for that? Are you manufacturing most of these things yourself or are you still uncovering bits and pieces? Yeah, a little bit of both. I'll sort of break that down into two parts, really. What I'd call the hardware and components, um, you know, fuel lines, hydraulic lines, nuts and bolts, rivets, you know, aluminium skin. That's all easy enough to source, whether it's from the UK or the US. But it's the period World War II original parts that are much, much harder to get hold of. And our philosophy with the aircraft is we want her to be as authentic and as accurate as possible. So. The idea is you step on board the aircraft and you go back to the 6th of June, 1944. And we're incredibly lucky to have had a couple of guys on our team who have spent countless hours researching and finding all of the original parts, be it instruments, radio gear, navigational gear, canvas pouches, paratrooper benches. And we've now acquired over, I think, 99% of the original parts. So it's been a huge challenge, but um, one that we've really enjoyed. Yeah, I mean, just thinking about the amount of hours going into researching what is historically accurate and then actually finding those pieces as well, that must be a mammoth undertaking. Oh, it's been huge. Uh, There's been countless hours spent researching original parts, manuals, reading squadron diaries, war diaries, trawling Facebook Marketplace, eBay. We've been physically to America, Canada, to other places in Europe to physically source these parts. And, you know, we're not quite there yet, but... um, we're not going to stop. I mean, there's two what I call guiding principles of this project. And one is to uh, to honour the guys that fought for our freedom during the Second World War. And the other is to preserve history and allow it to educate future generations. And authenticity is, is key to both of those. I mean, it's the most fitting memorial you can get and actually something that people can experience at air shows and, you know, even come and visit at some point. Yeah, absolutely. The idea is to have a little museum or heritage centre at Membry where Night Fright will be hangered. So, you know, we are actively encouraging uh, members of the public to come and have a look, particularly children. 
as far as I'm concerned, from a historical perspective, there's very much one thing reading about something in a book, but there's another sort of feeling and touching it. And it's living history. That's what it is. That's what we're really proud of. Absolutely. I mean, I saw the Dax over Normandy at Duxford. That was my sort of first taste of like a mass Dakota formation. And that itself was like quite phenomenal. And when you start to think of how many would have gone over on D-Day and Market Garden and places like that, it's just, it doesn't even bear thinking about it. It just boggles the mind, really. It's incredible. Um, you know, I was lucky enough to be co-piloting one of those C-47s for that event, and it was a terrific spectacle. And as you say, I mean, oh, to have a time machine and to go back and stand at somewhere like Membry, you know, on the eve of D-Day, it would have been absolutely incredible. I mean, I first became aware of you through the Guy Martin's D-Day program. And I think, you, what was your deadline you were working to there? You were trying to get it ready for the D-Day. That's right. Yeah, we had kind of two deadlines there. We obviously were aiming for the finale of the filming with Guy and that program we made with the guys there. And that obviously led on to the 75th anniversary of D-Day and the Dax Over Normandy events. And, you know, as you will have seen from the ending of the program, it was a terrific ending. But unfortunately, we weren't able to get Night Pro ready in time. It's just the way it goes sometimes, isn't it? But I suppose, you know, you miss one anniversary, but she'll be around for a lot more. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think as Guy put it at the end of the programme, you know, if you're going to do it right, you're going to do it right. She'll be ready when she's ready, really. And you're right, there's going to be some pretty significant events um, coming up in the future. You know, the 80th anniversary of D-Day, for example. And, you know, I suppose the one thing that is more than disappointing is that there's fewer and fewer veterans around to see the aircraft at these anniversaries. But um, that's something we'll have to live with. There's not much we can do about that. It's a huge project and, you know, we want to make sure that we get it right. Absolutely. I mean, did programs like the Guy Martin and the, um, the Warbird Workshop, did they sort of help raise the profile of the projects? Did you get any sort of more interest coming your way as a result? Yeah, I think we did a little bit. It's kind of hard to measure in a way, but I think, you know, we definitely saw... Um, you know, an increase in activity, you know, people viewing our website and followers across social media channels and a little bit of activity on our online shop, etc. But, you know, we very much enjoyed both of those programs. Warbird Workshop was more focused around the engineering side of the project and how we were going about that. So that was great. And it was a real tribute to the guys carrying out the work at Coventry. And, you know, the program with Guy was a wider program, as you know, about D-Day and, you know, the C-47s involved. And that, that was absolutely terrific as well. We were involved in that project for about 18 months or so, working on a number of aspects. And, you know, it was terrific fun, a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. Guy is absolutely fantastic. He's awesome. He's a great engineer, thoroughly into his history, very knowledgeable, and it was great fun. Yeah, so I think there's a bit of a, a myth that Guy's sort of just a TV sort of mechanic, but I know that he does do a lot of his own work, doesn't he? I mean, he, that's what he is. He's, he's a mechanic. He's a very, very talented mechanic and obviously a very, very talented, um, you know, racer, you know, be that on motorbikes and cars and all of the other various records that he's broken along the way. But he was absolutely terrific. He's got so much enthusiasm for the engineering and the history. And he is the same on TV as he is off camera. You know, quite often we would be going to film a sequence and you wouldn't be able to find him because he'd disappear around the hangar, helping the guys with the project and getting stuck in. He's... um. He's just like that. He's just a, just a great guy. And that's what a project like this needs. It needs people who are passionate about what they do and, and talented, you know, have the skills to match. I mean, how many guys have you got working on Night Ride at the moment? Um, that kind of varies depending on what stage of the project we're at. I mean, in the heat of the battle, if you want to put it like that, when we were rushing for the 75th anniversary of D-Day, we probably had 10 plus guys on it full time. At the moment, we're probably down to 
three or four at the moment. It sort of goes in waves depending on what we're working on at the time. But I suppose the only thing I would add is that um, you don't necessarily achieve more by adding more people, if that makes sense. You just kind of get in each other's way. There's only a finite amount of space. Uh, Timmy Cooks, I believe, would be the, the, the best way to put that. Yeah, definitely. That's um, that's right. But I mean, you know, we're very, very fortunate. You know, Ben Cox is heading up the team at Coventry with Heritage Air Services. And, you know, we're extremely fortunate to have such a talented bunch of guys. I mean, and, you know, I think one of the things that we enjoy as well is it keeps these what I call old fashioned engineering skills alive. You know, the, the metal workers and, you know, the guys recovering their control surfaces, you know, those kind of skills will be lost if people don't do projects like this. So, you know, it's um, that's another added bonus of doing what we're doing, really. Absolutely. I mean, how can people get involved? I mean, so you mentioned your website. Um, is there any other way that people can sort of come and see what's going on? I mean, yeah, absolutely. We try to be as open as possible. I mean, I suppose the challenge I've got at the moment is we're in a phase of the project where, in terms of skills, what we need is sort of cold, hard engineering skills, if that makes sense. But we are open to anyone. Um, we've got planning permission for the museum at Membry now, which is going ahead over the next six months or so. So as soon as we've got that up and running, there's going to be ample opportunity for people to get involved with the museum and with Night Fright herself. But if anybody wanted to get in touch with us at the project via the website or via social media, we're happy to engage with anyone. And I will always make the aircraft available for people to come and have a look. That's amazing. I mean, you also have a, a whole range of uh, products that you sell, where obviously which the money for which goes to uh, the Night Fight projects. Yeah, absolutely. We're in the fortunate position that we're funding the actual restoration ourselves. But you're right, there is a, a small range of merchandise available on the website. And those funds go directly back into the project, um, you know, to help the guys doing that. So, yeah, absolutely. We've got what we think is a small but quality range of products, which, as you say, are available on the website. So, yeah, I encourage people to have a look if they wish to do so. Absolutely. I mean, uh, things like your uh, night flight coffee and things like that, perfect uh, Christmas gift or birthday gift coming up. Yeah, absolutely. We apply the same principle to, um, you know, to social media, to the website and to the merchandise as we do with the project itself. Everything we do, we try to do in the best possible way. We try to make it look right and be period correct. So the same principles are, are applied to everything. So yeah, hopefully there's a few nice bits on there and there's a couple of little bits we've got coming out soon as well. So watch this space on that front. And how far off do you think Night Fright will be before we see her in the air again? Yeah, it's a good one. That is, um, that's the million dollar question, isn't it, really? The stock answer, without wishing to sound like a politician, is that um, we haven't really got a deadline at the moment. We sort of missed a couple of deadlines, as we chatted about earlier. So I'm a little reluctant to, to commit to deadlines. But I guess what I will give away is that I've challenged the team at Coventry to be engines running um, towards the back end of this year with the aircraft with a view to flying spring summer next year so let's see let's see what happens well, that'd be amazing to see that so what are you flying in the meantime are you uh, sort of still out and about uh, c47 yet um i haven't done any c47 flying this summer although there is a little bit coming up there's a sort of a few of us involved um I've got a number of other different roles. I sit on the management team of our family distribution business, Walker Logistics, but I'm also a, a business jet pilot. So I fly a Hawker, an HS125 as well, and a few other light aircraft. So I keep myself out of trouble one way or another. How does flying a C-47 compare to like a modern aircraft? Uh, personally, I think the, uh, the C-47 is more fun, but I, I guess I, I would say that. it's I don't know, it's kind of like 
going from an old-fashioned car without power steering to a modern car with all the the mod cons and, and luxuries. I mean, in the biz jets and the airliners, you're you're kind of monitoring computers, really pressing buttons and going from autopilot to autopilot. Where you know flying a C forty seven or anything else similar is is you know more hands on flying, sort of more rudimentary gauges and navigation equipment, and you're sort of you know, you're more wrestling it around the sky, really. But, you know, the C-47 is a is a lovely aeroplane to fly. It's a relatively simple aeroplane in the grand scheme of things. But what it is, is big and a, and a tail dragger. So, you know, that makes it a handful in the critical phases of flight. So on the ground and, and take off and landing, it's, um, it is an aircraft that will bite you if you're not careful. I'm interested, in how did you get into flying that in the first place? What was your sort of your route into flying one of those? Um, well, I suppose once I sort of, you know, I looked into the history at Membry and sort of got fairly, um, you know, serious about the history of Troop Carrier Command and the 436th and were fairly serious about bringing a C-47 back to Membry. I went out to the States and did quite a bit of flying out there. I got all of my American flying licenses, did some experience in a supercub and something else called a BT-13, which is uh, similar to a Harvard and sort of got some um, radial engine experience and some tail dragger experience. and and then moved up onto the DC-3 and, and did my type rating with a couple of guys out in the States. And that was, um, it was a hard course, actually. Um, it was a big learning curve going to a, such a large tail dragger and probably was uh, the hardest check ride I've ever done in terms of flying. And But that's going back five or six years. So I've got a bit of experience now, probably, I don't know, 75, 100 hours on C-47, something like that. That's quite, quite amazing. Hats off to you for doing that. Yeah, no, it's good fun. I see it as a real privilege, to be honest, a, a real privilege. And as I say, when you're you're flying these aircraft, it still makes their hair stand up on the back of my neck. So I, I feel incredibly lucky to have that opportunity. As you said before, it's, it's, it's a flying memorial, isn't it? You know, it's all these sort of things, you know, it's, it's, it's just honouring those who went before us. Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, I couldn't agree with you more. That's That's exactly what we're trying to achieve. I mean, you know, the project is about history. It's about honouring the past um, and educating the future. And, you know, we're using Night Fright as the medium to do that, really. Well, that's amazing. I think that's probably a good place to leave it. Um, should you give one little plug to the website, how people can follow you and keep up to date with the project? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, love to. So the website is www.night-fright.com. And there's quite a lot of detailed history about the aircraft, both uh, throughout the war and, and post-war on there, as well as a few other bits, including the online shop. And then we're on all of the usual social media platforms as well. So if you search the Night Fright C47 project, you'll find us. I heartily recommend it. And I should definitely follow you with interest. And hopefully I'll get to see you guys in the flesh soon. Very much looking forward to it. Pleasure talking to you. Yeah, pleasure talking to you. Thanks very much. Thanks, James. This has been a podcast from Key Aero, your aviation destination. Remember, visit www.key.aero for more of the same. Thanks for stopping by, and we hope to catch up with you again soon.